is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, Congress has not negotiated in good faith for many years on immigration. They failed to do their job, and I, and I think it's a large part of why, how the president got elected and why this continues to be a big issue. I think most Democrats and Republicans believe in border security. They have a different way of coming at it. That's a question Chuck Schumer is going to have to ask. You know, he was in that boat a few years ago, and, and it didn't work well for Chuck Schumer during the Schumer shutdown. But ultimately, there's an opportunity for an agreement to be reached here. And it's all about border security, and $5 billion is the number. If there's any shutdown, it's on President Trump's back. The Republicans are in control of the presidency, the House, and the Senate. A shutdown is on their back. The plan is we've got to get $5 billion for the wall. And, you know, we're in a situation now where we've actually provided funding for our military. We've provided funding for labor and HHS and the same appropriations bill. That's been completed. That's been signed. Uh, and the president's been clear that, that he's willing to shut down the government if we don't get this $5 billion. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being with us. You can go to StaceyOnTheRight.com and hit the subscribe button. You can also find me online on social media outlets. Um, you know, whatever, at Stacey on the Right. Uh, this hour, we have John Zmerich, editor of The Stream. Stream.org is a website. He's going to come on and talk to us about the caravan. Right now, I want to pivot over to a subject that's near and dear to my heart that is really important to Americans in general, but specifically Americans who are parents, and that is our public education system. Now, you've got um, Dr. DeVos coming out and speaking. She's a secretary of education, speaking about the Democrats and their unions and what what is going on with the situation here. And so I'm not actually against, obviously, I, I like teachers. I think they're wonderful people. But I think public school teachers have really been done a disservice by unions. And now it's kind of like, you know, you're, they're, they're married to the devil. They've got, they feel no way out. Now, there is a way out. And we're seeing a lot of just charter schools popping up in a lot of different places, a lot of different educational options. Millions of parents in America are now homeschooling and really taking advantage of that time that they can spend with their kids. And for families that both parents work, there are even homeschool options where a group of people, teachers, et cetera, et cetera, are homeschooling your kids at what's called a learning center. And so it's still the freedom of homeschool where you choose your classes. It's like being in school, but you choose the classes that you're going to take. So instead of waiting until college to do that, you start doing that as early as middle school. And the curriculum is is kind of laid out before you for choices. And, and it's just an amazing uh, array of options that have become available to parents recently. The from the traditional homeschool model, where it's the mom or the dad at home doing the homeschooling, to all of the different things that have come about, because Americans are realizing what she's about to discuss here in this clip, that every student doesn't learn in the same way. And every traditional school building doesn't meet the needs of every child. So if you want to meet the needs of your child and you're really interested in getting an option for them that can work, then you have other things available to you. But she wants to make that even more prevalent to kind of eliminate this idea that there's only one way to educate your child. So here she is in number four talking about that. 
Practically speaking, we need many more kinds of educational experiences for students to pursue, to get the best out of each and every student. For some, some students, it might mean longer school days or more days in school. For others, it might mean a different kind of environment where they are hands-on learning and doing project-based learning. But we have to make sure that all of them have the opportunity to develop the skills that are going to take them forward into adulthood, like critical thinking, communication skills, uh, fostering creativity and the ability to work together with others. Much of that has been lost as we've been focused so much on uh, assessments of math and reading. Uh, and, and even in doing so, we've seen those scores just sort of taper off and uh, continue to be the middle of the pack as compared to the rest of the world. We're trying to do a top-down approach that is imposed on almost everyone, and it doesn't work for way too many students. So Betsy DeVos has made a point here that a lot of parents have come to through trial and error, and it can be really hard for, for some families when they're looking for something for their kids, if their child has any kind of learning disability or special need, they can look around and not only do the public schools not have the options they want, but sometimes they can't get their child into a private school that they want to get into because a lot of private schools don't take any they, – they're not, they're not willing to do in, individual education plans. And so it – it can be very, very difficult. What she's talking about would help to address some of those needs as well. It's not just traditional learning students who are having trouble fitting into that old industrial age model of everyone sitting in a classroom of 18 to 25 kids and all the desks facing the front and spending 55 minutes listening to a lecture and then getting a sheet of homework and doing that at night. And that works for a bunch of kids, but it also doesn't work for bunches more. And we need options that can meet the needs of these children and still maintain a viable source of labor for us in the future. And I know that's not popular to say. Most people are like, well, don't talk about people as if they're cogs in a wheel. Well, we're not. But where do you think we get employees for all of these fantastic companies that people are creating? You have to have kids who can read and write and do math on grade level. So we, it's important. We, there, there's no getting around this. And when we don't have American kids who are graduating at grade level, proficient or advanced, and college ready, even if they're not going to college, what happens? You see people who own businesses using lobbyists to get people in Congress to give them more H-1B-1 visa authorizations. They will go overseas and get the labor. And some countries around the world are turning out more college graduates on a yearly basis. Like India, they graduate more people from college every year than we have as a population of our entire country. We have 320 some odd million, correct? Is that 314, 300, whatever number you'd like, they're graduating around 350 million college graduates a year because they have over a billion people living there. That means those people are graduating with college degrees and they want to go somewhere where they can work and make a fantastic living. That creates a permanent underclass of Americans who are not viable in the workplace for anything other than, you know, very entry level labor to which they say, well, I have a family. I don't want to make seven fifty an hour to which businesses say, hmm, you know what? I'll just put a robot there. I'll just put a huge thing that looks like an iPad there to take orders. That's what they're doing at McDonald's. I don't know if you noticed, but this has been these kiosks have been something that are a thing for over 20 years overseas because overseas they didn't have the labor that was willing to do this entry level basic work. 
they had plenty of it with people working in grocery stores and gas stations, et cetera. They didn't need people to man McDonald's in that way. So they have always had a leaner workforce overseas, especially in Germany. That's where I grew up. And that's where I get this, you know, I saw the kiosk there first. Well, now here in the U.S., there it's not that there aren't people who need these jobs. It's that the people who need these jobs are unemployable. They won't show up. They won't stay employed for the same company. They won't just, hey, welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? They have an attitude problem. When you order, they don't get your order right. And so what's easier? Make all of the machines that make the food, add a computer to them. You have three people working there instead of eight. You get rid of five negative ninnies with bad attitudes who don't want to work there, who just want to be paid for doing nothing, who won't show up on time, who won't show up at all. You get rid of them and replace them with kiosks. So the only ones who are there are ones who can manage the computers, manage the robots, et cetera, et cetera, and make sure that everything's running smoothly. You don't need as many people. That's where this is going. Which means it's so, it's even more important. If you thought a good education was important before, it is even more important now to have the, the basics. Because anyone can say, I have a high school education, I was at or above grade level, and I was enjoying myself. I was living life to the fullest, and it was great. And I'm working, and now, you know what? I think I need to go on and get some technical school, or I need to go on and get some kind of advanced training, or I'm ready to go and get my bachelor's degree. If you were on grade level, at or above, proficient or advanced, then it doesn't matter when you decide to go take that leap and, and get some college, you can still do it. But if you're struggling and just barely graduating from high school and you have the absolute, it's not even the minimum, it's, oh my goodness, how did you get a high school diploma? You can barely read at like an eighth grader. And if you have any children who read at the college level, you know what, you know what the difference between those two things are. If you can't read at grade level in the eighth grade or the 12th grade, you're not reading at the adult reading level for Americans, then you're also not thinking at that level. You're not communicating at that level and you're not able to control yourself at that level. I mean, it's a, it's not just where you can say, well, this otherwise fantastic individual who has all these wonderful skills, but can barely read at the eighth grade reading level. No, it's indicative of other issues. And this, this is hard talk because people don't want to hear it because, well, you're talking about this group of people. You're downgrading that. You hate yourself. No, I don't. I actually think it is the most caring thing you can do is to say to a child and their parents, your child's not at reading level. They're, they're not at grade level. Here's the grade level where they're reading. We need to do something about that. Here's a plan of attack to get your child up to not just proficient, but basically advanced in reading or in math or in whatever the subject matter is, that is one of the most caring things a person can say to you, an educator, a superintendent, a principal, teacher, what have you. Anyone who's willing to tell you that truth is basically saying, I see a big, huge pit up ahead of you. And instead of you just barreling forward and falling into that pit, never to be recovered, I want you to pump the brakes and let's address this issue. Let's get this pit out of your direction. You're, you're not going anywhere near this pit. We're going to rescue you from this pitfall. You're going to be at grade level and be able to continue on with your education if you want to. It is, it's one of the most caring things anyone can say to you. That and, you know, obviously, if you have some kind of illness or disease that needs to be addressed and you don't know about it, or I mean, obviously the biggest one, do you know our Savior, you know, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Do you, do you know him? Do you want to know him? 
so I this this isn't about looking down on anyone. It's about saying I don't want a person to be in the trap that is not having a proper education in America. It sets you up for failure, sets you up for a life of crime and degradation. And we should be doing everything we can to stop people from going in that direction. So Betsy DeVos, obviously, she gets a lot of flack from people on the left because they hate her. But look what happened with Ron DeSantis down in Florida. Ron DeSantis won his race doing no small part to black women who crossed over from voting for Democrats because Black PAC, which is a, uh, it's a, I believe they're based in Florida. It's a, um, it's an organizing 501c3 or c4. What they do is they raise money and they put it behind candidates who adhere to a certain ideology, namely school choice, things that really make radical changes in communities. And so what they did was they ran ads saying, hey, not, and not at the behest of the candidate. Ron DeSantis didn't have anything to do with it. Black Pack said, look, you got two candidates here. You got Gillum, who he's against school choice. He doesn't care how bad your kid's school is. Your kid has to stay there. And you got DeSantis. DeSantis says, you want an opportunity to go to a school that, it, that rocks? You want to put your kid using a voucher or a lottery system or whatever the, whatever the, the deal is. You want your kid out of that failing school? Then... Yes, let's do that. Let's let's change your child's future. Let's set them on the path to being able to access the American dream. Those ads tipped the scale in DeSantis's favor because women who otherwise disagree with the Republican Party platform were thinking about what they should be thinking about, which is the betterment of their children and their families. And they said, you know what, I got to get over here and vote for this guy because I do want my kids in a good school. School choice is a winning issue for any political party that decides to undertake it. The Democrats say they're not opposed to it, but they have the teachers unions to to bow to. And we don't. The Republicans don't. So as we go out, let's listen to number five. Uh, they'll take us out into the break. It's DeVos, too. The teachers union has a stranglehold on many of the politicians in this country, both at the federal level and at the state level. And they are very resistant to the kind of changes that need to happen. Uh, they are very protective of what they know, and they're protective of, really protective of adult jobs and, and uh, not really focused on what's right for individual students. In some states, we've made significant progress, but there is a lot more progress to be, to be made. And at the federal level, I think there needs to be honest conversations mm. in the policymaking rooms around what is right long-term for the health of our students, of our children, which is the future of our country. So right. All right. We'll be back with John Zmerich right after these messages. You keep it here. Every day in preborn centers across the country, young women in crisis find refuge. Here's Roxy, nurse director for preborn at the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Southern California. A lot of them come to us and they feel rejected, they feel alone, they're in a crisis situation, they don't know what to do, they don't know where to start. We believe that sharing the compassionate love of Jesus Christ is what really makes what we do work. Through love and compassion, Young women facing tough situations get to meet Jesus Christ and their unborn baby on ultrasound. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry. 
and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds, and you'll receive a story and a picture of babies' lives that were spared. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Although human trafficking is in the news quite often, there's still a need to learn more about this scourge in our society. That's why I invited Victor Boutros of the Human Trafficking Institute to talk about seven things everyone should know about human trafficking. First, the problem is enormous. Traffickers are exploiting an estimated 24.9 million victims. That means there are more slaves in the world today than existed during the height of slavery a few centuries ago. Second, human trafficking is not about movement. When you hear the word trafficking, you think they're being moved around. But the essence of trafficking is coercion, not movement. Third, traffickers are motivated by money. The wages of sin are enormous when human trafficking is involved. Annual profits exceed $150 million a year. That is more than the annual profits of Exxon, Microsoft, BP, Samsung, and Apple combined. Fourth, anyone can be a trafficking victim. It affects children and adults, citizens and visitors, women and men, boys and girls. Fifth, traffickers vary their tactics. They tailor their tactics to the unique vulnerabilities of each victim. Sixth, the goal is not to prosecute the victims. Law enforcement wants to put traffickers in jail. And seventh, there is hope that traffickers can be stopped. We're not powerless against this enormous problem. The Human Trafficking Institute has developed specialized programs to help law enforcement of this country and other countries begin to make a difference. When you hear the facts and statistics, it's easy to get overwhelmed by the magnitude of this problem. Fortunately, many groups are working to stop traffickers and prevent others from becoming victims. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you for being here today. It's a pleasure to be with you. And it's also a pleasure to welcome John Smerick, editor of The Stream, for a little bit of chatting about the caravan. John, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, I'm senior editor at Stream.org. If people want to check it out, we have a lot of commentary about the uh, immigration issue and the caravan in particular. We have an interview with an American missionary who lives in Honduras uh, talking about the, the root causes of the caravan and the impact that it's having on society in Honduras. And what a lot of people would be surprised to know is that the caravan is very destructive of Honduran society. Thousands of Hondurans have abandoned their families to go work in the United States. And they send money, which is appreciated, but it's no replacement for having a mother or a father. And uh, according to you know our sources there, one of the things it does is it convinces people in Honduras that they need to come to America because it's a land of milk and honey. And they watch American movies and TV shows, and everybody looks like they're rich. And they think, oh, if I arrive in America, I'll be rich like them. And they come, and they, they get a very different reality, where they a lot of them are low-skill, low-educated. Some of them are illiterate. Most of them haven't finished high school. There aren't a lot of jobs 
for people with that low level of skill in America, and we have a lot of unemployed people here. Um, so they arrive, and uh, they end up disappointed. Some of them end up on public assistance. Some of them end up committing crimes. And uh, meanwhile, Honduras's families get shattered, and their kids grow up without parents. Okay, so you you gave us a lot of info there. I'm I'm yeah. of the mindset that because I watched a clip from MSNBC, which I was so surprised this was on MSNBC, but they actually had a reporter down in Tijuana talking to people who were there who've changed their minds, and they have about eighty people a day say that sitting there in a stadium with 5,000 other people waiting for the opportunity to apply for asylum in Mexico, not getting released into the United States, and knowing that their asylum claim is likely to be denied has caused about 80 people a day to kind of take up either the Mexican offer of a job and you know asylum there or to take the trip. It's taking them about three days to get back home. I don't know if they're busing them or if they're flying them from place to place, but the Mexican government is providing... Um, you know, the opportunity to take these people back to Honduras or El Salvador. And I think it's important to note that when they, they, they've been sold a bill of goods, these people have been told, all you got to do is make it to the Southern border and say, you're afraid for your life. And in you go, and you'll be living like the people in in the the, the videos you see on the social media. I think that's a part of it too. It's not just the movies. It's Instagram. Unfortunately, our laws have a massive loophole in them. If those people make it onto U.S. soil, they can basically disappear into the country. We can't hold them for very long, especially if they bring their children along. They bring their children. We can only hold the children, I think, for like 10 days or something. And, we, and we've decided not to separate parents from children or the young people they say are their children. Sometimes it's traffickers. So because of the failure of Congress to fix our asylum laws, these people are guaranteed a hearing, and the hearings don't happen for years. And... Eighty percent of them, or ninety percent of them, are rejected because they're false asylum claims. And but you know, ninety or seventy—I don't remember what percentage—don't even show up for the hearing. They just disappear into the U.S. forever. Yeah, so and, and over ninety percent of them are denied. That—that's right. the statistic that Americans need to hear from CNN and everywhere else. That right. almost ninety-seven percent of the claims for asylum are denied, but it doesn't matter because the people are already in the country. Now, some of them right. do, so, John, self-deport, but it—that's right. not what the point. Most of them stay. System? that we let people into the country, 90% of whom are not actually eligible for asylum. Where is the breakdown? Jeff Sessions tried to fix it, but uh, courts have interfered with him. We need Congress to act to, to say, if you have passed through a, a safe country, if you, if you say you're a refugee from Honduras, if you get into Mexico, period, that's it. If Mexico offers you asylum, you have to take it. That's international law. It should be American law. This is something Trump should have acted on while he had a Republican Congress. And now we're going to spend the next two years spending off one caravan after another. And we have to, we have to cooperate, count on Mexico, to keep them off U.S. soil. Because the moment they hit U.S. soil, George Soros lawyers and people working for the Catholic bishops, I'm a Catholic, but I'm appalled by the way my, my bishops have been manipulating this issue. They show up and they start throwing up legal, you know, spurious legal arguments that are just enough to get the people released, and then they disappear into the country, and we have more illegal immigrants. So let <laughs> you excellent recap, but there's there's one more thing, which is this is the lame duck session, and Democrats were able to push through Obamacare in a lame duck. 
So there's no reason why we can't get $5 billion in wall funding and just that one little law tweak that you just discussed. I mean, I want the end of chain migration and everything else, but oh, yeah. how about if we just take one bite at a time, get the, right. the funding for the wall and get that change made so that there is no due process for people who are not citizens of this country. And if you refuse asylum, you cannot apply for it. So, you know, if you get an offer from Mexico, in Mexico, you can't apply for it here. Exactly. The only people who ought to be applying for asylum are people being persecuted by the Canadian or the Mexican governments. Everybody else, no, no luck. Well, we know that the Canadian and Mexican governments don't persecute their people. Right. So. I know. <laughs> okay, I'm just I'm just making sure we're because <laughs> uh, I, I, I made this the point Canadian months ago. Government's going after Christians in a pretty bad way. So well, we don't mind be, Canadian you know, have Christians. Have a lot of Christians fleeing Canada you know, to get away from the religious persecution. We'd love to have them. Yeah, uh, Canadian yes. Christians, we'll bring them. it on! I mean, bring on those yes, Canadian Christians. Yeah, yeah, we, we want those. Come on down, the water's fine. Yeah, Warmer, we we want you. We'll trade you for every Canadian <laughs> Christian family they send us. We'll give them a hundred of our illegal immigrants from Mexico, El Salvador, right. and Honduras. <laughs> well, the fault here is with the Republicans. A lot of these Republicans who are leaving were rhinos, and they didn't support Trump on immigration, and they and they lost their seats. So really, the, the balance in the House is not changing that much because a lot of the Republicans who are retiring or lost weren't with us anyway on any of the crucial issues. They were part of the cheap labor lobby and the Paul Ryan corporate globalist cabal. Thank that, you for uh, pointing it out. Jeb Bush for president. Thank you because I'm so. I don't know if you saw there's some video out there, and I didn't. I didn't cut it for the show because. Barack Obama's voice is so annoying to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's so annoying. And I'm not easily yeah. triggered, but it just, I tried to listen to some this morning and I was like, nope, I ain't doing it. He went he's to. He's not the smugest human being ever to just, walk the earth. It's so hard to take. I mean, because if, you know, if he were really accomplished, I would, I would be fine with it. Like, I, I actually know people who are smug, but they're super accomplished. And I just kind of give him a pass because I'm like, you know, you just really you've been burning rubber for like, I don't know how many years now. You're just killing it. Um, you're a little smug, but I can take it. I can't take smugness from people who have no accomplishments. So yeah, yeah. he's he was out at some Republican organization, some, you know, kind of Bush um, Bush sycophancy in, in, in that whole realm. And they were they let him come speak to this Republican organization. And he took credit for the boom in our, our natural gas and the boom in oil production and the economy and all this other stuff. He was like, you have to thank me. You should thank me for that because that started under me. And the reason I bring him up at this, at this juncture is that here's a guy who's literally trotting around to Republicans and saying things that are undermining President Trump. And these Republicans are clapping and laughing and enjoying it. And I yeah. feel like the ones who retired this year, John, they're that's their group. Like they're going to go hang right. out with that. And so I'm fine with it. I'm glad to we see them go. We lost a couple of good people. We lost uh, Dave Brad from Virginia, and he was fantastic. Yeah, yeah he was. Um, I think we lost Dana Rohrbacher, who was also very good. But most of the people who left were just rhinos. And so let's just go ahead and put them in the Natural History mm -hmm. Museum, stuff them, put them in a diorama. I don't know if I'd even put up with that. I'm 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 into burning stuff and moving on. Like, you know, let it go, put it behind you. I'm glad they're gone. I hate that yeah. we had a couple of real good people that were casualties of the of the, the, the movement and, and but it's a it's a cleansing that prepares us for the next go round, electing some true Republicans. And it also means that people who run John, hopefully 
the next Republicans who run against those Democrats who currently hold those seats, they'll they'll have to have already reckoned with themselves that this is the Trump Republican Party now. Right. And there's nothing right. wrong with that. And if it's I want to be Jeff a part of that Lake Republican yeah. Party, this is or the, John these McCain, are not the Republicans who gathered at John McCain's seventh or eighth funeral. I'm not sure how many they had, but oh, before gosh. they put him in that giant pyramid they built for him mm. and held hands with with uh, with M- Michelle Obama. Mm. A few I days just, before, the Democrats went full Michael Avenatti on Brett Kavanaugh. That right. shows you how much bipartisanship is worth. Bipartisanship Nothing. gets you Julie Swetnick. It gets you Michael Avenatti. It gets you Christine Blasey Ford. It gets you absolutely nothing. Lindsey Graham learned his lesson. Yes, he did. <laughs> I think once McCain was gone, I think McCain must have had some, some voodoo totem that he controlled Lindsey Graham, and when, when he died, the spell was broken, because Lindsey Graham just seems like, like a new man, like the my, mind control is over. John, John my joke is that John McCain loosed Lindsey Graham, and now Lindsey Graham is running up and down the, the halls of the Senate like a Pentecostal on fire for the Lord. He's, he's full of <laughs> fire and, and, and vigor, and he's just he's, he's a renewed man. It's like a revival has been let loose in his yeah. heart, and he's just a Republican again. And he's loving it so much, he just can't keep quiet about it. He's singing from <laughs> the know, rooftops, it's and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I mean, he's just he's got so much swagger now. Some of the people at IJR and other websites have taken to giving him, you know, the little, it's like the Snoop Dogg music and the little, they're, they're like GIF sunglasses yeah, and they yeah. drop them on you when you're, when you're really cool. When you say something, you own somebody as according to the yeah. youth slang, they put those on you. They've been doing it to, to him so often. I'm like, he's just on fire. He can't be stopped. Yeah, yeah. We need and him to lay hands on some of the others. In America, more pathetic than Jeff Flake. I, mean, I don't know. Does anybody care what this guy has to say? Not me. Couldn't I even get renominated years. by his own party. Did a book. He stole the title of Conscience of a Conservative from Barry Goldwater and stole even the cover design. I mean, wow. what's his next book going to be? God and Man at Yale or maybe uh, <laughs> Ben-Hur or War and Peace? I'm looking forward to Jeff Flake's future literary productions. I, I'm not because I, I had no idea he'd <laughs> stolen the title of a book. I, you're educating us here like in spades, but I have to I have well, to yeah, point out John. The conservative was written by Barry Goldwater. Oh, I know Arizona that. Senator. So I didn't know Jeff Flake had Jeff stolen Flake it. Do, but the same title and the same cover design, and he's also an Arizona senator. I think he just wants people to buy his book by mistake when they're trying to buy Goldwater. Well, I, I, okay, so that's pretty low. But what do you expect? So see, for him, he's never really hidden his inability to be a true Republican. And I've always wondered what he's been doing there. And now well, it'll be good for him not to He ran as a Tea Party guy. And then, then he took off the mask once he was in Congress. Just like that Palestinian chick who just won up in uh, Michigan. Oh, yeah, the one who married BDS. her brother? Mm-hmm. She didn't support <laughs> BDS, but now she does. Yeah. It, so, we, much, so much of what's happening to us seems like it was taken from some apocalyptic novel written by some, some crazy guy in a, in a double-wide trailer self-published and sold at gun shows but oh wait it's all actually happening (laughs) well it's happening but as people learn like the the constituents who elected jeff flake they should have learned something by now and if they haven't they still have some time you know to learn it but the most important thing we can do is as you're doing over at the stream and as we're doing here on the show is to just get the truth out there 
And people really right. have to make up their own minds. And we really have to bear with the consequences of the people that we send right. in for us. Like the people of Missouri, we just got rid of Claire McCaskill. Yeah. Oh, my goodness, John. Yeah. It, there's a bunch of us who I feel like dancing in the streets. It's only 30 degrees outside, so I won't. But I feel like going out there with my dog and just dancing in the streets and during the school day while the kids are gone because they'd be so embarrassed. And just uh, getting all of my energy out. Hey, I can I, recommend one thing. I have a new book out, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Immigration. And uh-huh. if you guys want the facts and the arguments and the history on immigration, please check it out. It's at Amazon and at bookstores. Nice. Okay. I didn't know you had a new book out. Awesome. Well, I'll have to yeah, put that on my please, list. Please check it out. Um, Politically Incorrect Guide to Immigration. Oh, I bet you this is going to be good. Um, so I think you'll like it. So I, I, I'm pretty sure I will. So I'm. we just have another couple of minutes left here. And I wanted to find out from you. As I was telling people last segment, or actually last hour, that you have to write letters to Congress. We had Carmine Sabi on here, and he was telling us, you know, that ha- Twitter hashtags don't work, Facebook campaigns don't work. You have to actually send paper letters or make real phone calls oh. to try to get something done during the lame duck um, on funding the border wall because the president needs to have that money before these crazy whacked out Democrats take over the House. Oh yeah. So what do you think? Is that going to work for us? We're, we're, we're about to start writing our letters and sending them off. Yeah, I think it's a great idea, and also phone calls, and, and let them know you'll support a shutdown of the government. Look, if the government can't guard the border, what is the use of having a government? <laughs> Why not just be honest and say the government is broken, we're closing it for business, because we can't even guard the border. Can't you know, we're guarding, guarding the borders of Afghanistan and Iraq and Syria – but we can't effectively guard our own. And the Democrats want to, what do they want to do? They want to abolish ICE. I, I, I think I'm going to start calling them the party of MS-13, because well, if they were working directly for MS-13, they could not be doing a better job. And they couldn't. There's no way they could be better at what they do, which is just destroying our national sovereignty. But there's an answer yeah. for that. And I, I really feel like you know, you're you had no idea I was going to ask you that question. You've given your honest appraisal, which is that those letters and phone calls still do work and we've oh, got yeah. to get it done. Um, and and it I done. think also politically incorrect guide to immigration by John Zmerak. We can find it at Amazon. We'll definitely be checking that out as well. Thank you so much for coming on. today. Thank you. Y'all have a great day. <laughs> OK, Bye-bye. you too. Talk to you soon. So I, I got to say, I'm I'm encouraged by that. That's. That's our little temperature taking right there. So now we got to proceed. I've already had someone send me a note on Facebook saying, will I post my letter so that, you know, people can have it to kind of lift a little uh, the, the nuggets of, of data from, especially if they're not into writing letters or it's not something that they've done before. And I'm going to put it up at StaceyOnTheRight.com so you can find it and it will automatically post to Facebook and Twitter, et cetera. So you can find it there and feel free to use it because I think we've got something We've got a good idea here. We can make something happen. Um, We have only to act because God has already given us the victory. Remember in the Old Testament where he told Joshua, I've already given them into your hand. They hadn't even lifted a sword yet. We can do this. We'll be back with more right after these messages. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. The Democrats have a new agenda when they take over the House of Representatives in January, and it's not going to be to the benefit of the American people. Apparently, Team Pelosi's entire scheme is to see just how many investigations can be launched. Also, those dastardly Trump tax returns must be published. 
Never mind the 55,000 lives a year lost to opioid overdoses. Never mind the U.S. budget deficit has ballooned under a Republican president and needs reining in by Congress. Never mind that we have human trafficking and illegal entry rapidly increasing at our southern border. No, none of those things are important. What really matters is the president's tax returns and also what he eats for breakfast and also what he tweets. That's the new agenda of the House of Representatives under control of the Democrats. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com. American Family Radio. Samaritan's Purse. And your family. Together, we can bring good news and great joy to needy children. Simply pack an Operation Christmas Child shoebox with toys, school supplies, and hygiene items. Then drop off your shoebox gift during National Collection Week. Visit AFR.net, click the Operation Christmas Child banner, and then get packing. Romans 13, 14 says, Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the desires of the flesh. So what are you clothing yourself with? Whether we realize it or not, what we allow in our temples affects our way of living. We can't feed ourselves junk and expect to hear from the Lord. Clothe yourself with the righteousness of God at urbanfamilytalk.com. This is Fox on Justice, a legal tug of war over Erica. You've probably seen ads and promos for Bank of America's new virtual assistant named Erica. I'll go ahead and transfer $800 from your savings to your checking account. A Colorado businessman named Eric Underwood is claiming ownership rights to the name Erica. Underwood, who ran for governor this year, owns a company called My24.com, part of which is an entertainment news aggregation site that he's named Entertainment Repetitious Informational Clone Application. Erica. It also happens to be the name of Underwood's twin sister. He's filed a lawsuit scheduled to be heard this week that he had the name Erica first, and he's accusing Bank of America of unfair competition. Bank of America counterclaims Underwood doesn't have a case and is just trying to make a withdrawal from the bank in the form of a legal settlement. By the way, the bank says that the name Erica comes from the last five letters in the company's name. Bank of, um, Erica. With Fox on Justice, Hank Weinblum, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome back to the program. Thanks for being with us. Last segment of the show, we usually take calls. If you want to call in, it's 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Let's go to the phones now and talk to Jimmy. Jimmy, thanks for calling in today. Hey, Stacy, how you doing? Fine. How are you? Doing fine, just fine. All right, what's I'm your calling. comment? Uh, I'd like to talk with you about a couple of things, Stacey, because I, I listen to you at night when I'm out riding around. I'm retired and I deliver newspapers at night. Hmm. And I'll be listening mm-hmm. while I'm riding. And now, uh, that, that bothers me on both sides. I'm not, Wait, I I missed what you said. What what bothers you? I said it's some political situations on both sides of the aisle that bothers me. Okay. And now, uh, because I I normally vote Democrat, I have voted Democrat, but I about then gave that up too, because 
one situation I don't agree with babies being killed, and I don't agree with sex, uh, uh, homosexuality. That's okay. the Democrat side. I don't agree with racism. I know you're not going to agree with me on that, but I'm in Mississippi, and I saw that yesterday also in that boat down here. And uh, I don't agree with that either. That's the Republican side. So uh, I'm about done with voting anyway. Because they neither side doing what they should do to get this country in order. It's time for us to come together, Jackson. To, if it's okay. a Democrat president or a Republican president, one side get in office and get in power, the other side turns against them instead of trying to work with them, like Democrats doing Republicans now. And it's enough of that. It's time for all this hateful rhetoric to stop and people to come together. But this is the United States. We fight wars all over this world. We got soldiers all over this world just about. But yet we can't get together here in our own country. And it don't make no sense, sir. And believe me, I'm no millionaire. I'm no political hack. I know what I see. I watch the news all the time. I keep up with this this stuff. But there's one thing I do need to say this, though. You're a big supporter of Donald Trump. And um, I got to say this. Jason, that man is looking to become a dictator. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Jimmy for calling the show um, and I appreciate your candor and the things that you um, that you shared your opinions thank you so much for calling the show um, I I, th- I guess what I have to say in response to that is obviously um, there that racism knows no party um, there are racists who are Democrats and there are, are racists who are Republicans the issue that we have now is that we have a huge media complex that paints every Republican as a racist. And so the the evidence against Cindy Hyde-Smith that she's some kind of racist down in Mississippi, um, so she was never a racist until she ran against a, a Democrat who happened to be black, Mike X- Espy. Mike Espy, who had a whole lot of uh, convictions for um, just, I mean, all kinds of craziness when he was the Secretary of Agriculture, but the media never covered that. And as far as my support for Donald Trump, Exactly at what point, what, what is he doing exactly that what makes him a dictator? I know that the caller said he listens to both sides of media, but he's obviously listening to a lot of MSNBC and CNN where they use words like dictator, Nazi, uh, Reichstag, things that would make Americans think that any minute Donald Trump is going to use the government to round up black Americans or gay Americans or, or women or children and ship them off to concentration camps. Never mind the fact that our president is constitutionally limited in ways that Hitler never was. And Hitler killed 6 million Jewish people and 18 million people total. And Donald Trump hasn't killed anybody. He hasn't even been convicted of or indicted for this so-called Russian collusion. So, you know, I respect other people's opinions and I agree that um, both parties have flaws and that there are different things that are going on with each one. But who do you serve? Do you serve your skin or do you serve the one true God who sits on the throne and never once in the Bible called anyone black 
or white or Hispanic. He called us children of, of the king or people who serve Satan. Those are the only two designations that matter. Once you get into the New Testament, God does not concern himself, and neither does Jesus Christ, with the matters of these these insignificant things, whether or not we have a tan. And yes, there is racism. I have experienced it recently. There, there's no discounting that. But I've also experienced people gossiping. I've also experienced people verbally attacking me. These are all sins. Racism is not the only sin going in this country. There's plenty of it that's going on right now, every minute of the day. And so I just caution people to, um, first of all, I, I have a right to support Donald Trump or to not support him, just like you have a right to not support him or support him. And so to question my support of Donald Trump and somehow link it to uh, him being a dictator or him being a racist really goes against my right to support whoever I want. And I just won't tolerate it. You have your opinion. I have mine. You have your right to your opinion. I have mine. And that's the end of it. So last thing we have going on um, is this U.S. Customs and Border Patrol commissioner saying that the current law is inviting and incentivizing caravans. It's number one. First, let me just comment on the caravan. We've been saying it for weeks. This is a different phenomenon. A large caravan crossing with violence across two international borders, uh, primarily adult male, not like the prior caravans last spring and the year before. Uh, this is a different phenomenon. Again, they use force against Mexican police. They use force uh, to try to enter the country yesterday. Uh, this is a different group. Also the size, as you noted, we have not seen caravans come together at this scope and size. To have 8,500 people in one Mexican state at the same time uh, intending to be a cohesive group to approach the border, that, that's new, that's different, and that's a challenge. Uh, in terms of the structure, I mean, the incoming Congress is really going to have to grapple with the fact that the legal framework that we maintain is inviting and incentivizing this kind of challenge, this kind of behavior. Along the, alongside these 8,500 people we have in Baja, California, over the last five and a half weeks since this group formed, we've seen over 60,000 people either cross our border illegally, 85% of them, or arrive at our ports of entry and claim asylum lawfully. That, that's a massive flow, and they know that they are going to be released into the United States uh, if they make an asylum claim to await a court proceeding that could be years out. Uh, wh whether uh, Congress needs to face the reality of that, and in that process, they're paying smugglers, they're putting themselves and their children at risk, and it's a dynamic that, that's really not sustainable or safe for anyone. We have vulnerable people in the hands of violent criminals uh, throughout this cycle, and that's not a good place to be. And so this is the, the issue that Democrats don't want to talk about. Why aren't they showing the caravan anymore, except for the staged pictures of children being gassed with the white canisters that don't have any tear gas in them? Well, because this doesn't play well with the public. Most Americans believe in the rule of law. And if any person of American parentage, any American citizen can be pulled over for driving too fast or driving under the influence, or you can have your car and your house fined and cited for having your garage the wrong color or parking on the wrong side of the street on street cleaning day, and other people are allowed to breach our border and come in and get on welfare, and we're supposed to just let that happen, the rule of law is not supposed to be able to see the person that's being given the law. It's supposed to be blind. The, if we have a nation of laws and a social compact that says we all agree that we're here together and we're all members of the same country. And, you know, the last caller was talking about unity and coming together. One way to destroy unity is to say that because I don't agree with you, you're a dictator, that 
I don't like your policy, so you must be a dictator. The way to properly disagree is to say, you know what? These are the policies that I don't like. Here are some compromises or here are some opposing views that are much better in practice. Here's some data. Here's some facts. Here's some information about how these programs have helped people and the program that you're proposing doesn't help people. But people can't come against the Republican Party platform or the ideas that we're espousing with any true facts or information because the facts and information don't support the Democratic Party line. And I'll just say this, you know, instead of worrying about whether or not Donald Trump is a dictator, we should be more concerned with whether or not the votes that we're taking and the stances that we're promoting, espousing, are in alignment with the word of God. If we are lined up with what God's word says, we can walk forward in confidence and courage, knowing that we are honoring him with our votes. Not voting does not honor God. That does not render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. We have to not only be informed, we have to be prayerfully executing our duty as citizens, not just to maintain our liberties, not just to make sure America continues on and we have something to pass on to our children and grandchildren, but because there's a judgment seat that's coming. And when we get there, we won't be able to argue that this one was a dictator or that one hated black people or yada, yada, yada. We're going to be asked about whether or not we opposed abortion, infanticide, throwing babies, human bodies in garbage cans and dumpsters behind abortion clinics and selling off their parts to government agencies to use for, um, you know, experimentation. That's what we're going to be asked. Did you support that or did you oppose it? Did you, were you fine with your tax dollars funding that or did you oppose it? There won't be any questions about racism other than if a person is a racist, you know, that's not going to be something God approves of. But he's also not going to be approving of us gossiping, lying, maligning each other, defaming each other, getting into petty arguments on on Twitter and Instagram, not treating each other with love, not taking care of the poor and the widow, not taking care of our own actual citizens, members of our national family before we take care of outsiders, spending outside of our means as a country, spending outside of our means personally, not taking care of our own children, allowing the government to take care of our children and so much more. The list of things that we're going to be held accountable for is so lengthy that our obsession with race is really a deflectionary tactic. It's the way that we focus on something that really you can't control another person having racist feelings in their body, but you can control what you feel and what you believe in the way that you behave. And if you are not honoring God with your vote, that is going to be something that you'll be held accountable for, not by me. I won't be there. I have nothing to do with it. I didn't write the book. I don't, I didn't edit it. I have nothing to do with what the Bible says other than I'm reading it and studying it and trying to get it, get my life in line with it. And no matter what, no matter what you think or feel about my opinions or my presentation or any of those other tertiary, really unimportant details, it is God that you will have to reckon with because he is not mocked and sin cannot exist in his presence. And he will bring all of us to account. Me, every thought, every word, everything I've ever said or done, I will have to account to him for it. And that is my primary concern. And so while it is important for us to share our opinions and going back and forth and debating is, is it's right, it's righteous, it's good to do. But in the end, if we are not addressing ourselves to the beam in our own eye, instead worrying about the speck in somebody else's eye, we are in for a world of hurt 
on that day. So if you are listening to this show and you don't know Jesus Christ, I invite you to come into the family. All you have to do is say, Father, I'm a sinner and I understand that in in this current state, I am your enemy, but I, I want to be forgiven. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me and he rose again on the third day and he went and took the keys to death from Satan and now he sits at the right hand of the Father and he is my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart, accept me and bring me into right relationship with you and then find a church, get baptized and you know, let's let's get the party started. Do that and then start to see how God through his wisdom and through your studying of the scriptures will bring you into an understanding of what his will for you in your life is and work let's let's all work on that. Every one of us has that as a job to do for ourselves. And um as far as as far as the rest of it, you know, God bless. God bless and have a fantastic night. We have just so much great stuff going on on the program coming up. Um, I want to, uh, first of all, I'm speaking at the GOP Christmas party in Illinois, the Illinois GOP. They have a Christmas party every year, and I am going to be keynoting for them this weekend. So if you're local to the area and you're going to get tickets, don't wait too late to get tickets to go to that. The food was amazing last time. Last time I spoke there, I think it was a couple years ago, and we had a really good time. I have a fantastic speech lined up. It's going to be good. Um, and it'll be so nice to meet people in person. And then, of course, tomorrow we have Maj Touré, Black Guns Matter founder. He's a Second Amendment proponent. And Wesley Wildman will be joining us. He's the director of Outreach for American Family Association. He's going to come on and talk to us about the Orange Letter campaign. And don't forget that it's open enrollment for MediShare. And if you are struggling with Obamacare, MediShare is the answer. Get on board. You'll hear more about that from us when we have one of their representatives on to explain the entire thing. That's next week. So until then, God bless from the heartland. Be with you tomorrow. Tomorrow.